0: Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. Folks, we finally made it. I've been teasing you all about this topic since my very first episode almost six months ago. It's time to talk about the history of spices that originate from trees. Spice trees! And there's so much to cover that I have to split it into two episodes. Frankly, I could go for three, but I won't. For now. Maybe I'll revisit the topic later in the future, but you'll have to wait at least six more months for that. Now, what is a spice? How are we distinguishing them from herbs and seasonings? Let's talk about what these words mean. Seasoning is a general umbrella term for the herbs and spices you apply to food to enhance its flavor. Almost exclusively, and by some definitions absolutely exclusively, seasonings all come from plants. The tricky question is in regards to salt. It's basically the one seasoning that isn't plant-based, so some people will lump it in because it is a flavoring agent, but some will say that salt is its own separate entity aside from seasonings because it's not from a plant. Aside from that, seasonings are divided into herbs and spices. Herbs are seasonings that come from foliage, plant leaves, examples being thyme, parsley, tarragon, or bay leaves. Opposite herbs are spices, defined as seasonings that originate from basically any plant part that's not leaf. This can be seeds, like with cardamom, dried fruit, like with paprika, or even tree bark as we'll find out with cinnamon. I'm focusing on spices specifically because we don't really get any herbs from tree species, except for bay leaves, which I already talked about in the laurel episode. In this first spice tree episode, I will be covering cinnamon and peppercorns where we get black pepper, white pepper, and green pepper, which I knew nothing about until I researched all of this. But not pink peppercorns, and I'll explain why. Let's talk about where in the world these spices come from, and how they made it all the way to your kitchen. Cinnamon is a warm brown spice with a history full of mystery and controversy. For centuries no one in the western world knew what exactly cinnamon was or where it was coming from except for the Arabs who were the sole force of introducing it into Europe at the time. I specifically say western world because China was in on the secret before it was even traded west, but that's less fun. So I'm going to hold off on the origins of cinnamon here until we get to that point in history when the veil was removed and Europe got involved in the trade. All we know is that Arab traders exclusively are bringing this seasoning to the Mediterranean port of Alexandria in Egypt from God knows where in the form of light brown powder or curled up sticks. The name cinnamon itself has remained fairly consistent over time. It looks as if ancient languages started with cinnamomum, and that word evolved ever so slightly over time, and various languages were adopting some approximation of these words. Ignoring China, the earliest records of Western cultures using cinnamon was ancient Egypt around 2000 BCE, so it must have been cultivated and traded before then because it was the Arab traders who brought it to Egypt, to be shipped across the Mediterranean to southern Europe. These Arab traders maintained a tight control over the trade of cinnamon and other spices by keeping their origins a close secret. Because of their trade monopoly on this product, cinnamon was considered highly valuable, both from rarity as well as mystique. Cinnamon's importance is mentioned in both Christian and Jewish scripture. It was apparently used as a part of this special blend of incense throughout biblical history as far back as the days of the first and second temples of Jerusalem. I've talked about the first temple before, with how its pillars had depictions of important symbols such as pomegranate. Cinnamon was seen as a worthy gift for kings and even gods, as texts suggest that it was an appropriate offering at temples of various pantheons. Pliny the Elder, a Roman natural historian from the 1st century, valued cinnamon at 15 times that of silver by weight. I'm going to try something here, if the internet's understanding of currency conversions over thousands of years can be trusted. So an ounce of silver in ancient Rome, and a Roman ounce was actually very similar to the modern US ounce. An ounce of silver was allegedly worth around... $14.22 of modern money. Now, multiply this by 15 for the value of cinnamon, and this spice was worth $213.30 per ounce. That's an expensive cinnamon roll right there. And all that because no one knew where to get it. All European merchants knew back then was that Arab traders were bringing the stuff into Egypt by boat from the Red Sea. The Red Sea is that body of water between the Arabian Peninsula and Africa that lets out into the Indian Ocean. Some theorized that it was being brought in from Ethiopia. Some claimed that it came from the source of the Nile River, a legendary place where cinnamon tubes were fished right out of the water and dried. Still others thought that because Arabs were the ones to bring it in, that it came from the Arabian Peninsula. Legend had it that massive birds collected cinnamon sticks from trees in far off unknown lands and brought them back to Arabia to build their big bird nests, and that the Arabs had to cleverly and craftily sneak up on these nests and steal the twigs so they could be sold abroad. That last idea may sound crazy, but it was still commonly perpetuated as late as the 14th century. That doesn't mean everyone believed it though. Way back in the first century, Pliny the Elder talked about this legend and wrote it off as a nonsensical tale that was invented by the Arabs so that they could drive cinnamon's price up to 15 times that of silver. But sometime around the middle ages, word finally leaked out that the source of cinnamon was discovered, that it came from trees that grew on the island of Ceylon. Ceylon is better known today as Sri Lanka. That's that teardrop-shaped island off the southern coast of India. I hope the Arabs enjoyed their thousands of years of cinnamon trade monopoly, because with this knowledge, Europe was poised and ready to do what Europe does best. Conquer and colonize. In the early 1500s, Portugal landed on that rich, exotic island and took the trade monopoly for themselves. They were able to keep it for a 100 years or so until the Dutch allied with a kingdom within Sri Lanka around 1650 and forced the Portuguese out. And I hate to spoil things for you, but that's how the history of just about every Eastern spice works. Arab traders have a trade monopoly on a spice built around secrecy, Portugal finds the spice and takes over it for a short time, or at least they try to, and then the Dutch come in and ruin everything. In the case of cinnamon, the Dutch held the trade monopoly for another hundred years before deciding that a trade monopoly just wasn't good enough. So in the 1750s, they decided to take over as much of the cultivation and production of this spice as possible. But let's pause a moment and take a few minutes to talk about how the cultivation and production of cinnamon works. For thousands of years, humans have been harvesting cinnamon from the cinnamon tree, a species known as Cinnamomum verum. Cinnamomum comes from the original name for cinnamon, and verum is from the Latin word meaning true. So the scientific name means true cinnamon. There's more than one cinnamon tree species, so this one is specifically referred to as Ceylon cinnamon, or true cinnamon like the Latin name. Cinnamomum is in the laurel family, along with... Well, the laurel, where we get bay leaves. The cinnamon tree itself is a small broadleaf evergreen tree, reaching heights around 30 to 40 feet or 10 to 15 meters. The leaves are these simple dark green waxy ovals with three or four really prominent lighter colored veins running down them. Cinnamon flowers are these clusters of small daisy looking flowers, sometimes white, but often the petals are actually green so they can be easy to miss against the leaves. And these cinnamon fruits are dark purple stone fruits, similar to the laurel, so basically an elongated black grape if a grape was mostly one big seed. Finally, we get to the part of the tree where we get cinnamon, the bark. Specifically, the inner bark, not the outer bark. I've never licked a cinnamon tree, so I can't confirm that the outer bark doesn't taste like cinnamon, but I don't think it does. So what you can do to get cinnamon is you can cut out a square of that outer bark to expose the scented inner bark. Then you cut out a square of that inner bark and dry that out until it curls up into a tube, sometimes called a quill. And that's all a cinnamon stick is. Or you can cut down the tree, strip the bark off whole, peel away the softer layer of inner bark, cut that into squares, and let them dry into quills. And from there they are sold as whole sticks or ground into powder. Regardless of how you do it, cinnamon production is still very labor-intensive. That whole labor-heavy production is also a very fragrant process. A Dutch captain reported that if you were downwind from the island of Ceylon, you could smell that cinnamon eight leagues out to sea. Speaking of the Dutch, let's check back in with them and see how they're doing. Uh, Where were we? Uh, Yes, okay, so... In 1757, the Dutch governor of Sri Lanka started ramping up cinnamon production after taking control of the whole operation. But, hold on a second, someone's ship just pulled into the harbor. Uh Uh-oh! Oh, it's the British! The British show up in 1767, and by the end of the century, they completely forced the Dutch out and took over production for themselves. And right about now... I feel like the Sri Lankans are really starting to miss the Arabs. Britain was so excited. It was their turn to rule this happy little island. But that happiness didn't last long, because the value of cinnamon was about to plummet. Because while Europe was fighting over this one island, China finally arrived on the global scene and was like, you guys know there's like a bunch of different species of cinnamon tree growing throughout Southeast Asia, right? And that is how China knew the origins of cinnamon long before the west, one of those other species grew right in the southern part of that country, with other growing in nearby islands. So, on top of Ceylon cinnamon, you also have Chinese cinnamon, Vietnamese cinnamon, and Indonesian cinnamon. These other cinnamons are also referred to as Cassia, coming from the Hebrew word for cut off, in reference to the stripping off process of cinnamon bark removal. The other cinnamons are also affectionately referred to as fake cinnamon. Many cultures around the world will insist that the Salon cinnamon grown in Sri Lanka is vastly superior, and that's why it's also referred to as true cinnamon. Now, I haven't had a chance to do a taste test comparison, but allegedly Salon cinnamon is a lot more mild and pleasant, whereas the cassia cinnamons are a bit harsher and spicier. If you are in the United States and you have cinnamon in your cupboard, it's very likely to be one of those cassia cinnamons, likely Vietnamese cinnamon. If you had salon cinnamon, the container would tell you. And the reason for this is that cassia cinnamon is cheaper. Compared to ancient Rome when cinnamon went for over $200 an ounce, your general McCormick brand cinnamon at the store is going to run you closer to just $1 per ounce. Speaking of McCormick, not everyone is so aggressive about the distinction between Ceylon and Cassia. On their website, McCormick Spice Company has a neat page about the science and history behind cinnamon. They talk about the four main tree species used to produce cinnamon, and have a little blurb that say how many refer to Ceylon as the only true cinnamon, and the others as Cassia. But this distinction is misleading, because at the end of the day, they're all species of cinnamon tree. And it makes me wonder what kind of cinnamon McCormick uses. Hey McCormick, if you're listening, please do not sue me for slander. I have your cinnamon in my cupboard, and I don't care what species it comes from. It's mm -mm, so yummy. I love it. Today, 90% of Ceylon cinnamon is still produced in Sri Lanka, and 70% of Cassia cinnamon is produced across Indonesia, regardless of individual species. So most of our cinnamon in the United States is Vietnamese cinnamon being grown in Indonesia. The cultivation of that cassia cinnamon first took off around 1800 when the Portuguese and Dutch were getting their greedy little fingers in the spice trade over there, which is the main topic of next week's episode. The last 200 years has seen cinnamon become a staple in kitchens around the world regardless of wealth or status. Salon or cassia, we see cinnamon in both cooking as well as baking and even in medicine. Oils extracted from cinnamon trees are apparently good for blood pressure and may even help slow the progression of Alzheimer's. Apparently salon cinnamon, again, is more effective in medicine, but I'm done kicking up dust over this. We still have a whole other spice to cover. Everyone knows about pepper, it's one of the most common spices in the world. I actually thought it was the most common spice in the world considering how ubiquitous salt and pepper are and how common white pepper is in Asian cuisine. But apparently, cumin barely outranks it for the number one spot, which I find interesting. Regardless of what type of pepper you're familiar with, they all come from peppercorns. But where do peppercorns come from? This pepper plant is actually not too far from true cinnamon. It's grown in southwest India and was traded west as early as 4000 years ago we again see it having a prominent place in ancient Egyptian culture. The famous pharaoh Ramses had his nose stuffed with peppercorns when he was mummified, which startled scientists at first because every other mummy had a flattened nose thanks to the bandages, but his had somehow kept its shape, and that's why. The Roman Empire actually had their hands on some of the pepper trade because more of it was traded over land as opposed to the sea routes that cinnamon was brought along. The name Pepper actually comes from the latin word for it, Piper. The plant's scientific name is Piper nigrum, and the family it belongs to is Piperaceae. But when the Roman Empire dissolved, those Arab traders did what they could to take over the trade monopoly for this spice. Those dudes were rich, let me tell you. They were able to keep the price of pepper up and maintain their monopoly for some time again because of myth and mystery. They tried to shut out any knowledge of where they got the pepper, and came up with stories about how difficult it was to procure. One of those stories was that peppercorns grew on trees and groves that were, for some reason, heavily guarded by snakes. And you needed to burn the grove to scare the snakes away, which also turned the fruits from white to black. This last detail came from the fact that peppercorns mostly came to Europe in the form of black pepper, but some knew that there was another, much more rare variety known as white pepper. The truth of the peppercorn plant is much less dramatic. For starters, the plant isn't actually a tree, it's a vine that grows on trees. And I know this is such blasphemy to talk about a plant that isn't a tree, or even a shrub. But at this point, I don't care. Sue me. Um, not you, McCormick. There's also not hordes of snakes to be burned away. There may be some snakes, but like, a normal amount? The leaves on this vine are almond-shaped, and around the size of your hand, And evergreen, so a glossy dark green color. Flowers are pale yellow to white, and born on a cluster that's referred to as a spike. The fruits are also born on a spike. They are stone fruits like cinnamon and laurel, and kind of look like a bunch of small grapes. I compare a lot of things to grapes, don't I? The color of these fruits will change as they ripen, from green to bright red to dark red. And the ripeness level matters, because that is how we are getting different kinds of pepper. Black pepper is what my US audience is going to be most familiar with. We get this from the fruit being picked when it is not yet ripe, and the dark seed is dried, turning it black. There is also white pepper, which is very common in various Asian cuisines. I myself did not know about white pepper until I was living with a woman from Malaysia who was very confused when I showed her black pepper. We get white pepper from the seed of the fully ripe fruit. Over time, that seed's color changes from dark brown to white, and that gets dried and ground, or even sold whole, just like black peppercorns are. There's also green pepper, which I knew nothing about until I did the research for this episode. To my understanding, it's mostly just a thing in Thai cuisine specifically. We get this when the fruit is picked way before it is anywhere close to ripe, and then immediately pickled. Green pepper is quite different from black and white because it uses the whole fruit and not just the seed, and has a shorter shelf life because it is essentially fresh fruit. You may also be aware of pink peppercorns. That spice comes from the dried berries of an entirely different plant that grows in Peru. That plant is in the cashew family, so don't eat them if you have a tree nut allergy. Let's get back to the peppercorns journey though. The Arab traders had a much harder time holding this monopoly because India is a lot harder to hide than Sri Lanka. Also, the Roman Empire already knew about it, Italy just got distracted for a while. So by the time the Middle Ages rolled around, certain Italian cities wanted to get back in on the spice trade, and the best the Arabs could do was to make trade deals so that they could at least hold onto the supply line from Asia to Europe. But when pepper got to Europe, cities like Venice and Genoa controlled the entire distribution process to get it to the rest of the continent, which made those cities very wealthy. Other Europeans saw that cash flow and they wanted in on the spice trade themselves. So we see Spain and Portugal sending explorers like Christopher Columbus and Vasco da Gama west in search of faster routes to India so they could get in on the riches brought about by cinnamon and black pepper and certain explorers instead found themselves in the Americas. Is it a stretch to say that America was discovered because seasoning your food is just that important? Maybe, but I'm going to say it anyway because seriously, season your food. The next couple hundred years went by, as I said they would. The Portuguese got a foothold on pepper, the Dutch fought with them, and the British eventually swooped in after. And just like with cinnamon, the British got almost no benefit from controlling the pepper-growing regions because production went global. This time, rather than other peppercorn species being found elsewhere, the plant was just taken elsewhere and grown wherever else other European colonies were established. In the modern day, Vietnam is the leading country in peppercorn production. I love to cook and bake, and I especially love using different spices. Around four years ago, this was shortly before I started to teach myself how to cook, I was working in Wisconsin, and some of my coworkers were at our boss's house. And they were telling me how weird it was because our boss was showing off how extensive his spice cabinet was. And we were all laughing about that, but now... I get it. And Kenny, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry we laughed. I would love to see your spice cabinet. But this is why I was so excited to talk about these spice trees. or spice plants. Because spices used to be these expensive, fantastical, exotic things. And these stories bring back that exoticism to what is otherwise something so normal to us now. It's hard to imagine our lives without these plants, or without the journeys and wars that made these flavors part of our cultures and economies for the last 4,000 years. I can't picture what food would be like without cinnamon and pepper. I don't have time to list all the ways we use these spices. And it's more than just the food. Without European seafarers searching for these spices, Where would that leave the discovery of the new world and the society that I live in today? And most importantly, what could possibly replace the iconic hip-hop group salt and Pepper? So much consequence, and this is just two spices. There's more spice trees out there, and I need a whole other episode to get through them. But you have to be sure to come back for part two, where we'll be finding out what grows on the famous Spice Islands of Indonesia. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at my favorite trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug.